When you demonstrate the gospel to people, when you feed me, when you clothe me, when you come visit me when I'm in prison, right? That is what people are looking for. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Hey, Pantry fam. Are you looking for more faith-based podcasts, but you don't know where to go? The Access More Podcast Network has over 40 shows on topics like faith, culture, family, and entertainment, and offers a safe space to discover inspiring conversations. So if you're a fan of this show, you're going to find encouragement, hope, and joy from other podcasts on Access More. Start listening today at accessmore.com. Hey, I'm Shay. And I'm Michelle. And you're listening to the Pantry Podcast. We're serving up Jesus, not junk food, for followers of Christ who don't want to just exist, but be challenged, sifted, and changed by the Word of God. And this is Season 10, Go and Tell. And we're digging into the first half of the Great Commission to embolden you to share God's Word during these tumultuous times. Join us and friends from 77 countries as we feast on spiritual nutrition. You can even be a partner that keeps the show going. Support the show at patreon.com slash thepantrypodcast. Now let's dig into the real. Hey, what's up? Hello. Man, it is awesome to be here. So su- super excited to be here today. No, <laughs> oh, the, You got the super in there. I, I, I threw special. super in this time. Because I, anytime it has to do with evangelism or getting out there and sharing the word of God and how good Jesus is, it's always exciting. This season's been awesome. Yeah. Getting to see the different aspects, the different methods that people are using to reach people with the gospel. Yeah. And today I think we have a really cool guest because... In this story, you're going to see regeneration. You're going to see rebirth. You're going to see this. You know, we, we always sit there and say, people go, oh, I don't understand that. No, it's your spirit. It's it's how God builds us. It's how he makes us, gives us life. He takes us from death into life. Mm-hmm. And man, then I'm telling you, when he does that, we move. I'm, I, I don't know anyone that, that hasn't gone from like completely broke to unbroke. And it doesn't <laughs> sit there and be like, I want Jesus. I want to share Jesus. I want to give Jesus to anyone who listens. Sometimes maybe to an annoying point. But hey, that's what we're here for. Today. Hey, bless them. Because honestly, I think that that even I mean, who is it annoying to? Right. Like at the end of the day, who's going to laugh in heaven with all the riches on their side? You Amen. know, so Amen. I mean, look, um, I think that this is a very special episode because it got it kind of dives into some of the complexities of evangelism in society, because um, I think one of the big critiques I hear about gospel centered evangelism, which is like, you know, going out and sharing the gospel first and foremost, is that people have need to have their immediate needs met first mm. like how like who cares if jesus loves them if they're starving if they're like high on something if they're in abuse you know like you need like the, there's a there's a, another caveat of like you need to like take care of immediate needs and then share the gospel but then on the other side there's people critiquing when christians do start creating ministries that meet immediate needs what are you doing preaching the gospel while you're meeting immediate needs? Like, you know, you're, you're feeding people, you know, you don't need to proselytize and things. So there's a lot of that. So we're bringing someone on who can really speak to this, especially right now, given there's been a lot of recent, you know, resource centers affiliated with Christians under attack because of, you know, they're offering the resources that were being called both by the gospel and by society to, to provide. So today, 
We have a really special guest who can talk all about this. Her name is Pamela Whitehead, and she's the executive director of Pro Love Ministries, founded by Abby Johnson, who was also on this season. And she calls herself a hope dealer. From conception, she was targeted for abortion, and after years of abandonment, abuse, and addiction, she found herself facing a crisis pregnancy with only one option, abortion. Her conversion is radical, and so is her love for other women facing crisis like she did. And you can find out all of her story through the devotional planned from the start Start by Lorraine Vela that accompanies the major motion picture Unplanned that follows Abby Johnson's life. So welcome, Pam. It's awesome to have you. Yes, it is. Go. I am so glad to be here. I'm really pumped. I'm excited yes. for this. Yes. yes, yes. And there were some tech glitches. And you know what? God is faithful, y'all. Amen. So just... Join us in prayer for all future guests <laughs> because you know it's going to be a good episode when the tech stuff starts going funny. But anyway, um, it's awesome to have you. And first, just tell a little bit about the ministry you're currently involved in because I'm sure we're going to kind of touch on aspects of your past. But go ahead and let people know what Pro Love Ministries, the umbrella and, and everything under it is about. Yes, so Perla Ministries was established in October of 2019, and really our mission is to fill gaps and unite the pro-life movement. Over the years, Abby and I both have been serving in pro-life ministry for about 10 years. We recognized a lot of gaps, and nobody was filling those gaps. And so anticipating the end of Roe v. Wade, we um, decided to create Pro-Love Ministries to unite organizations who were filling needs that were previously unmet and to also um, create projects that could uh, fill needs that nobody else was filling. Um, And so the premier project probably that most people know about from Pro Love Ministries is Love Line. Mm -hmm. It's a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week crisis line where women who are expecting or parenting small children can contact us, and we provide comprehensive case management to meet all of their needs. So that, that, that was really quick and brief because you say, fill the gaps, fill the gaps. And I'm sitting here going like, what gaps? Yeah, you <laughs> like, do so like, good. We don't even so know the like, gaps. Because like, because <laughs> I know that in this in this in this day and age and everything that's going on, Roe v. Wade and all that stuff, um, there are gaps. There are gaps that need to be filled. There are needs that are going to be need that need to be met. So, what are some of those like? Especially in the, when we think of evangelism, we think of the season that we're in, and we're thinking of these gaps. What are some of those gaps that come to mind as you start to think of evangelism and gaps on the same level? Mm-hmm. So, I look at what I call felt needs. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, much like what you were saying in your intro, Jesus met felt needs. He met people where they were. He made sure they weren't hungry. He made sure they had um, clothing. He, you know, God always provides for his people. Mm-hmm. And um, when you look at people who don't have provision, the first thing they need is to be provided for. Uh, you know, you guys call me a hope dealer. That's what everybody says about me. The truth is you cannot have faith without hope. Mm-hmm. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Right. And the evidence of the things we can't see. So if I don't even have hope, which is, I think this is a lot of the issue that the church has, right? We come in and we start talking about faith, 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 just have faith, just pray, just do this, just do that. I don't even have hope, man. I can't even see out of this midnight that I'm in. Like there mm-hmm. is no light here. So we have to shine light in darkness. And a lot of times the way that we do that is we reach our hand down. We give somebody food. We give somebody rent money. We give somebody transportation. We provide them with what they need so that that crisis that is taking over is subsided. And then we can really get down to business and look at the heart. Mm, I 
that. You know, I had a few verses lined up and you just hit on all of them <laughs> at once. In the, and you added another one, right? Um, in the sense of, we hear about the Great Commission and says, go and, and share the gospel and make disciples. And I think that there are parts of that that are expanded upon elsewhere in the word and we sometimes forget. Mm. But something that's been hitting me hard recently is it's in James 1 and Galatians 6. In James 1, 27, it says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God. We say it's a relationship, not a religion, but here's the pure religion he counts as righteousness, right? In the sight of God, the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And then in Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then in verse 6, same chapter, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This comes down to meeting needs. And so when you're going out and sharing the gospel, I think it's safe to say, be prepared to to meet people's needs or connect them with people and resources that can. I think that sometimes I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on that too yeah. because I think sometimes I love what th- this is hitting mm-hmm. because this is hitting relation, right? Like relational. This is hitting relationship. This is hitting more than just me going out and spewing a bunch of of, of Bible verses and and words at people that might or might not understand even what I'm talking about. And sometimes even if they understand, they're not in the position to even. To, to, to take it in. Right. And, and, and we see this a lot when we, we go out and we, we evangelize and we start to notice something, and, and especially in young people and younger generations and people who are struggling, is the people who demonstrate a relationship like, hey, I'm interested in you. I care about you. That is where they're going to be drawn towards. And so do you see that in your ministry? I mean, when you do this, like you, you say you're meeting these needs, you know, you're, you're bringing in the food, you're bringing in, you know, you know, like like relationship and you're bringing in conversation. What what does that look like? How do people respond and, and where do they go from there? So what we do. So here's the deal. We are a pro-life ministry, right? Yeah. We are pro-life, anti-abortion, meaning yep. that we want to see abortion end. And while it's great that Roe v. Wade's overturned, what we realize is that suddenly now we've got 50 fights instead of one right? right. because it's come back to the states. Yep. And so what does that mean? That means people in our communities, each person, where you live, where you are, the way that you're going to do this is to reach one heart at a time. Each mm. one, reach one. We're talking about evangelism. Each mm. one, reach one. Right. And what I've learned as I've been doing this now, I've been on sidewalks in front of the abortion facility, the largest abortion facility in the country in Houston, Texas, for 10 years. And as I've been doing this and as I've watched and I've looked, I've seen it done wrong and I've seen it done great. The one thing that I've noticed is that people want a demonstration, not an explanation. Mm. When you demonstrate the gospel to people, when you feed me, when you clothe me, when you come visit me when I'm in prison, right? That is what people are looking for. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when we begin to love people, God is present. God is love. When we begin to show people love, true love, unconditional love, no strings attached, not worrying about what's going to happen next, but just being present in the moment, the Holy Spirit comes and he fills everything else. And we are meeting needs of women every single day. When a woman is seeking an abortion, 73% of the time, she has a financial burden, a financial burden. That's statistically true. Every woman who's seeking an abortion, most of the time, I don't have enough money. 
my relationship sucks. Um, you know, I, I, it's not the right time, but money is usually the number one reason. Most of the pro-life organizations that are in existence today do not meet that need. Mm. They meet, they will uh, provide baby diapers. They'll provide wipes. They'll provide uh, parenting classes. You know, they'll make sure she gets signed up for public assistance. Uh, they'll provide Bible study. They'll provide, you know, even if she's already had an abortion in her past, they'll provide post-abortion counseling, that kind of thing, uh, mm. lay counseling and all those things. We love those things. They're great. We love that. But if I came to you and I ordered a steak and you gave me a hot dog, <laughs> did you serve me? Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. So if I come to you and I say the reason I'm if you ask me, why is it that you're seeking an abortion? And I say, well, I can't pay my bills. And you say, oh, OK, here's 10 diapers and a pack of wipes. <laughs> did you just serve me? Right. You see no, what I'm saying? Yeah, you mm-hmm. did. We got to hear people. We got to hear mm-hmm. the need. Mm-hmm. The need is the call. Yeah. That's that's so important. I I think that that's one of the things that I learned on our first missions trip or my first missions trip to Costa Rica and Panama. You know, as we're talking to people, there's people who are like, "I need money." And I was not in a position to give them money, but because I I was just there for a few days, but I would always connect them with our pastor down there. I kind of feel bad for him because I kept handing him people because I didn't think it was enough to say, sorry, I don't have anything to help you. But here, eat these words of God, although they sustain you, but they don't have a relationship with Christ yet. And so they're not trusting on him as foolishness to them still because they don't have the Holy Spirit to, to make it not foolishness. And they don't have their own relationship with him to ask him to provide. And so I was like, well, what I can provide you is people that know this area, that have connections in this area that will work with Mm -hmm. you. And so going out, I learned I cannot, and this isn't to be taken wrong, going with just the gospel, you're going to get surprised. Yeah. Like just the words. We call it counting the cost. You have to count the cost. You have to count the cost. I mean, even Jesus said, he said, I think it's Luke 18. Mm-hmm. where he talks about uh, building a building and, and not being able to finish it. He said, you're yeah. going to look like a fool. And right. who goes to army with an, who goes to war with an army of 10,000, you know, hoping to defeat 20,000 soldiers. You know, you have right. to count the cost. You have to look right. at the cost of what you're about to do. And so before we, uh, you know, take on responsibility, because that's what we're doing. Right. When we begin to uh, the ministry of reconciliation, when we begin to reconcile people to God, we cannot just leave them there, you know? And, you know, the gift of evangelism that we had, the gift of evangelism that's on me. I remember when I was uh, first came to Christ, I was on fire for God and I would go out and tell everybody, I go and tell everybody, (laughs) but I didn't want to disciple anyone because Mm. I didn't like people. That's just (laughs) sheer fact. That's the truth. I love God. I love Jesus. But I did not trust people. Mm-hmm. I wasn't healed, right? Mm-hmm. I had, I still had all these soul wounds that I had to deal with. Discipleship is ongoing, and mm-hmm. so yes. evangelism with discipleship equals relationship, yeah. right? And yeah. everything that we do in our ministry is relational. It is not transactional. The transaction happened at Calvary. Jesus mm-hmm. exchanged His life for our, our sin. Right. That was the transaction. 
right? Mm. Now we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, the power to be a witness. That's what we're here for. We are the representation of the living God here on earth because we have the Holy Spirit. We have access to the Holy of Holies. We have all authority in heaven on earth. We have the same authority Jesus had. He said, you'll have what you'll do what I did and more. Mm -hmm. Most of us don't believe that. Mm. Right. We have a believing problem. Right. 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 So I, you know, I, so so now, boy, we going now. I know. Here goes the pantry because, boy, we about to start popping this thing. Because <laughs> that just brought something. Because I think that what we're touching on is beautiful. Because I think what happens in a lot of these situations, because we know there's a huge need in, in, in the pro-life movement and in, in these ladies' movements. We know that there's money that needs to be raised. There's there's money that needs to be there. I, I have ministries in Africa, and I can't touch all of them. It's it's almost impossible to touch them all. In fact, you can't. Some days you sit here, and you're just crushed, and you're like, people aren't eating for five days. So we have these women. Let's just go back to the topic, though. And we're trying to raise this money. We're trying to to figure out how to move forward. But you, you're, 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 you're struggling. You're hurt. And things are not going well. What do you say to people like that are because because you we know the needs mm-hmm. and we know that we can't meet every need and we're going to have a feeling about that. So what do you how do you build people up while y'all are trying to get all of this and put this together? So for us, uh, I mean, we are people of faith. And I think so often we don't put our faith forward. We Mm. put our fear forward. And Mm. we have to put our faith forward. And if I believe the word of God, Malachi 3 tells me that if I will bring my tithe into the storehouse, then he will open up the windows of heaven and he will pour out a blessing on me that I cannot contain. Not only Mm. that, he'll rebuke the devourer from my household. We are a tithing ministry. Our ministry gives to other ministries. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys give to me. Yep. You're all, I mean, you, you do that. Right. Yes. I believe when I do that, I can give God's word right back to him. And I could say, you promised me that if mm. I would bring the tithe into the storehouse, that you would open up the windows of heaven. And Lord, I am serving you today and I'm coming before you with what I have. And I'm asking you to multiply it just mm-hmm. like the fishes and loaves. I rebuke the devourer off of every penny that we mm. need. I bind the hands of the enemy off of it, and I loose that to us, everything we need, all the provision. And I'm going to tell you something right now. In the ministry that we're working in, we have never once had to tell a woman no because we didn't have the funds. Mm, Praise God. We've not had to do that. And the reason that that is because you have not because you ask not. We ask and people give. The people of God are obedient to God. Mm. They are. People of faith want to help. And there's so many people who can't go out in front of an abortion facility for whatever reason. Uh, That's not what they're called to do. There are so many people who they work, you know, 12 hours a day and to, to provide for their families. And so the way that they can help in this movement is to give into these types of outreaches and to be able to help pregnancy centers, to be able to help uh, parachurch organizations who are reaching out to women every day. And we have put the ask out there. Uh, one, the other day we raised $21,000 in 45 minutes Wow! for a mom. Uh, she has twins and she's pregnant with twins and wow. she needed a bigger vehicle. This is an actual need. It's not, I mean, this is something like she's not going to be able to get around. She's right. got to have a bigger vehicle that can hold four car seats. 
right? So we needed to get her a van. We weren't asking for a brand new van. You know what I mean? We found a used van, something that was, you know, economical. We want to be good stewards. We put the ask out there and people gave. We mm. have not because he asked not. I believe that. Mm. That's so important. All of this comes down to it's it's putting rubber meeting road. It's you acting on your faith, at, dealing out hope. That's such a valuable thing to bring because going out intending to serve, we really need to unpack what that means. And I think that's what this episode is doing is it's unpacking what it means to actually be there and live out the gospel. I remember a couple years ago, everyone was saying they don't need thoughts and prayers. They need action. And it was a it was an interesting conversation because I saw the good points on both sides prayer is activism prayer is a weapon prayer is going to get the job done but how does it get the job done often it's because god's stirring people to move and to act in godly ways and so when we when we go out and we're sharing it's not just about knowing the words to recite it's about being a living representation of that gospel that you're saying is going to fix it like and, and blowing people's minds, you know, in, in Romans 15, one, it says we who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So bearing with those who do not have Christ, bearing with those who are struggling. And that's exactly what you're saying. And, and, and you know, if you if you have this mindset, maybe you do work 12 hours a, a, a day and all you can do for this ministry is to is to give financially and to give your prayer time. But then those 12 hours that you're at work, there's people around you, most likely, you know, in most jobs. Um, How are you doing this and living this out with your actions so that people start asking? And and that's my next question is, okay, so you're serving people's needs. You're clearly a Christian based, Christ centered ministry. At what points, because I know it's, it's not a one size fit all, but at what points are you introducing Christ, you know, do you do it up front um, and while you're meeting the needs or are there different kind of touch points? Like, how do you navigate like between the servitude, uh, like a physical needs and then also, you know, letting them know who the ultimate provider is? Uh, It's pretty up front with us. So before we begin to meet the needs of women, we always when we do our intakes, we go over ethics and expectations. And then one of our ethics is stewardship and efficiency. And we remind them, we tell them, we believe that God is the source and everything else is a resource. God is the source of every good thing. And so when you talked about prayer, prayer to me, prayer is opening up heaven and bringing heaven to earth. When we pray, we're asking heaven to come to earth, Mm. right? And I mean, that's it. Every good and perfect gift, every good and perfect thing comes down from the Father's lights, from heaven. It comes down from heaven. And so prayer is just as important as as donations, but it doesn't stop there. Like you said, unemployed faith prospers no one, just like unemployed people, right? Unemployed faith prospers no one. There's no prospering in that. So until we activate our faith, we won't feel fulfilled. There's so many Christians that, that are wondering, what's my purpose? They wrote a whole doggone book about it, right? <laughs> I mean, we're like, it's right there. You know, I mean, it's in the book. If you read the book, it's there. You know, and so, but I, I, when we're talking about preaching the gospel, one of my, 
one of the biggest things that happened to me, the, the greatest things that happened to me when I became a believer is I dove into the word of God. Mm. Um, I was crazy. I, I mean, I was loony. I, I had so much trauma, so much that, that went on in my background. Like my thoughts were not going to lead me anywhere good. Mm. And um, when I heard the truth, when I heard that the word of God could transform me, that it could wash my mind, like that I could have different thoughts, that I could cast down my thoughts and I could take on the mind of Christ. I'm like, for real? Like, I need that. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's true. So I just started reading everything these people were preaching and checking things out for myself, right? Amen. The problem was when I started doing that, I had this gift where I could remember it. Well, then I would start talking to people and I would just start quoting scripture. Mm. And then I read a scripture one day. It's in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. And it says, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Mm. And I was like, no wonder these people can't stand me. I'm literally <laughs> killing them, right? <laughs> word. And my spirit wasn't right when I was coming to them. And so there was no life in it. And then I read another scripture in Hebrews 9, and it talks about uh, where there is a testament, there must first be the death of the testator. Mm. For without the death of the testator, there's no power in it. Right. And I thought, man, that's it. I'm not dead to that thing yet. So mm. my testimony has no power. Wow. See, there's so many of us that go out with zeal, you know, and you can be cavalier or you can be courageous. Cavalier mm. leaders, cavalier preachers will harm people. Yeah courageous preachers will transform people there's power in that testimony and that's the power that overcomes there's grace in it power and weakness right yeah, I th yeah oh, absolutely mm -hmm. I'm, so good. I'm about to twitter quote you all day long no <laughs> you've been dropping in bombs i'm like i'm like twitter. man i'm going back I'm like doo -doo -doo. huh I don't even have Twitter. <laughs> it's just, you know what? I, okay, anyways, we'll talk about Twitter later. But Twitter is one of those platforms because I like people. And right. so there's uh, more interaction. I'm, so I'm actually... I'm more introverted. Right. So. Well, right. I'm a... Oh, anyways, that's another story too. Uh, I'm the biggest extroverted, introverted person in the entire world. But anyways, I, I like what you're saying because in 1 Corinthians 2.14, it does say that. It, you know, you're sitting there talking about beating them, beating them, beating them, beating them. But the natural man does not receive the things yes. of the Spirit of God. Because That's they don't right. understand the spirit. They don't have the spirit. And so we sit there. And we So I love the ministries yes. that sit there and go after the hearts of people yes. because of our actions. I know you love James. I know you love the book of James. <laughs> I, can just, I, do. I, 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 I do too. Because <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm like, I, I think one of my favorite things to tell people is like, yo, you know, the Bible's like full of verbs, right? Right. It's full of verbs, like like a lot of verbs. Yes. <laughs> so, well, a lot so, of people think love isn't a verb. I'm like, um, hmm. <laughs> right. Well, no action in love? Mm. Right. Yeah. If you're just holding it, well, what's it doing? <laughs> I don't know. First, first Corinthians 13 says there is nothing without love. So I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> if you're moving without love, you got a problem. But yeah. no, yeah. I, I mean, so... Because you, you touched in it briefly, and, and I love that because I love how we're excited about Christ, and I love how we love Jesus. Um, you do have a story that's related around this issue. Right. And, and that's probably, I would agree that that's probably why he speaks so lovingly about it and, and have such a desire behind it. What, what was that story around this, the abortion story? Yeah. 
Yeah. So I'm, I'm the product of a teen pregnancy first. You know, my mom was 15 years old when she got pregnant with me. Uh, She met my father in prison while she was visiting her father in prison. I mean, it Mm. was doomed from the start by the world standards. And um, I was born in 1973, the year that Roe v. Wade made abortion legal. And uh, my mother's first choice was abortion. She went to my grandfather and my grandmother and, you know, with my dad. He had come out of prison the same time my grandfather did. And um, they said, you know, we're pregnant, but, hey, we got to fix. We can have an abortion. And they'd already, my grandmother had been in on that. And my grandfather wasn't a part of it. And so when they came to my grandfather, he said, no, there'll be no abortion. Mm. He said, you can have this baby and I'll help you raise her or him or you can get married. And Mm. so my parents decided to get married. And uh, by the time my mom was 24 years old, she had four children. And uh, my father was a raging alcoholic. And he there was domestic violence terrorism in our house all the time Mm -hmm. and when I was eight years old my father killed my mother he beat her Mm -hmm. to death Mm -hmm. and that sent me and my four my brother and my two sisters into foster care we all went to the same foster home which we thought was an amazing you know we're so happy we could stay together because our family was really poor nobody could Mm -hmm. take all four kids you know I mean that's that's a big responsibility and um none of them could handle that responsibility at the time. And so um, this family came in and said, we'll take all four of them. And they had seven kids of their own. So we go into this home and now there's 11, you know, and um, it wasn't very long after getting there that physical abuse started. Mm. And pretty soon after that, sexual abuse and emotional, mental abuse and, for me, I started drinking at 11. Um, it was given to me, and I, I didn't stop. We lived in the country. We lived in Alabama. We made homemade wine, and I learned how to drink it really well. Learned how to smoke cigarettes. and So I stayed in that home when I graduated high school. I made a plan when I was about 15 years old. I told my brother and my two sisters, because I was the oldest, I sat them down one day and I said, listen, I'm going to get us out of here. You know, we're not, we're not going to have to stay here forever. So I was dealing hope to them before I even knew what hope was. (laughs) You know, I was trying to take care of them. It was kind of just the way I, you know, God gives you a personality and he builds your character. And so the personality that he gave me was always in me. Um, It was just sometimes misdirected. And once he built my character, now I've just been a justice seeker for a long time. Mm. And so here we were in this home and everybody's, you know, terrorized. And, um, you know, I told them I'm going to get us out of here. Now, this family took us to church all the time. The mother did. The father never went to church. Now, that, that'll that preach right there because we already know like 90 over 90 percent of the time, if the man comes to Christ, the family follows. Right. Right. I think it's like 93 percent. And so with all this fatherlessness is in the world, that's the answer right there. So this guy wasn't going to church. She was. It was a little Presbyterian church in Phoenix City, Alabama. And um, she was actually the first female deacon in that church. But she took us to this church like every time the doors were open. But then when we were at home, she didn't protect us. Mm. You know? And so you can, 
preach the gospel. You can get the word. You can take us into that church all day long, but that did not make you a Christian. Because mm-hmm. we get home and you're allowing someone to hurt me. Right. You see? And so we're talking about, you know, what? that's what we're talking about here. And so I was hurt. I was beat. I was sexually abused, you know, raped by uh, four people in that home for 10 years. Mm. And so when I graduated high school, I had, I had three scholarships I could choose. I had an academic scholarship, a music scholarship, and a drama scholarship. And I'm not a drama queen, I promise. <laughs> anyway, I decided that I was going to turn him in and have him prosecuted. And so that's what I did. I mm. ran away and I turned him in and he went to prison. Mm. And... Uh, that's when my life started on a downward spiral, <laughs> even worse. Uh, the drinking for me got worse. I had no idea how to make decisions. I didn't know anything about foster care, aftercare, you know, all that stuff. Um, I became very promiscuous and I joined the army, which didn't make things better. It made my drinking a lot worse. And I found myself in an unplanned pregnancy and, um, after I got out of the military, I had already been married, had one child, placed him for adoption, got pregnant again, gave birth to a child, was with the man, but we continued using drugs. And uh, he left me and I began giving myself away, prostituting myself for drugs. And I'm pregnant, have no idea who the father is. Mm. And I'm, you know, I, I can't tell you, now I'd had two previous pregnancies Never once did the word abortion occur to me. Never once did I cons- like think about abortion. I have no idea when the word abortion came into my vocabulary. Like, I, I cannot even begin to, th- I don't know. I have no idea. And, you know, I asked every person in my life at that time that was my support circle, you know, people at work family that I was around, you know, gosh, you know, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And they're like, Pam, you can't have this baby. You can't take care of the kids you got. I mean, you're a drug addict. You know, what are you, what are you going to do? I held a job, sometimes two jobs. That wasn't a problem for me. I could function, but I couldn't live life on life's terms. Like I couldn't handle the weekends, you know? And, um, to make a long story short, I decided to have an abortion. And I uh, remember the day that I, I was 13 weeks and four days pregnant. If anybody's seen the movie Unplanned, the ultrasound that Abby saw on the screen is the same age that my baby was when I mm-hmm. had my abortion. I walked up to that clinic. There was not a single person outside. No one tried to stop me. No one tried to tell me about Pregnancy Center. No one tried to to tell me, hey, I'll help you go to rehab. Nobody, nobody did. Nobody preached the gospel. Nobody did anything. I marched right on into that clinic and I gave them my $468. And that day I killed my baby. Mm. And uh, the doctor perforated my uterus and I hemorrhaged on the table and I almost died. He's tried to stop the bleeding. He couldn't. They tried for 25 minutes and they had to call an ambulance and I left that clinic in an ambulance. Mm. 
That day after that, that was September 8th, 2001. Three days later was 9-11, September 11th, 2001. So I took that and I just put it somewhere. And I didn't talk about it. I didn't tell anybody. I went back to work and I continued drinking, using drugs. I got addicted to heroin, methamphetamine, all the things. I entered into a lesbian relationship for two and a half years after this abortion. Mm. I tried to kill myself four times. Like, I did not want to deal with this. I did not want to face it. Innately, I knew it was wrong. I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I felt like I did not have a choice. And I believe that there are so many women who are facing that decision who feel the same way that I did. So I looked back at that and I'm like, what did I need? Right? What did I need? I needed truth. First of all, I needed somebody to be completely honest with me, but I needed hope. Everybody said, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. That's not, that's not God. That's not Jesus. That's not support. That's not, no, that's not empowerment. How is that empowerment? Abortion always says you can't. That's not empowering. Right. (laughs) You tell me I can't today. I wish you would. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's just not how I live my life and how I ever succumb to that. You know, I think back on that and I'm like, man, what was it? It was fear. There were so many things that just compounded on top of it. Mm. I was so broken at the time. And but I accept full responsibility for that decision. And in 2009, I gave my life to, I got sober in 04. So I got sober before I got saved, which is like unheard of. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm very prideful and I was full of pride. And when I got sober, I just, it was me, 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 me. I did it. You know, I took credit for it, all of this. Yeah. And I came to the end of myself in 2009. Like I was mm. about to lose it. And um, I surrendered my life to Christ. Man. And I'm going to tell you something that man, that moment was the first time in my life that I felt worthy, Mm. that I felt seen, that I knew in that moment I was going to be safe. I would never be alone again. And I believe that. And to this day, that was, 2009 what's that 12 years ago 13 years ago um it's the same for me like that hasn't changed i built an altar in my mind of that moment um it was october 11 2009 and it wasn't some like on fire message it was ephesians 5 Christ is ahead of every man man is ahead of every woman you know i was married and i was such a like out of order took control of everything. My husband was smoking crack. I mean, (laughs) this is how it was when I came into the church. Mm. And, you know, I'm asking all these people, I don't know what to do. I went to these people at the church and I was like, listen, my husband's doing this. My husband's doing that. I don't know what to do. How do I do this? And they're like, oh gosh, let me pray for you. And I'm like, listen, that's not working. Like something's got to happen. That day when I surrendered my life to Christ, I understood in that moment 
when the word says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. I understood it right then. It was like when Paul and Silas were, were, were singing in the, in the cell at midnight and the chains just fell off Mm. suddenly. That was it. It was suddenly, it was radical and everything changed for me from that moment. Amen. I was born again. Yes. Like I tell people all the time, if you don't like how you were born, get born again. (laughs) <laughs> praise, praise god. god praise god no but god but god uh man well, how yeah. powerful is that how powerful no that, is that that shows <laughs> why we do what we do and why he has given us this enormous blessing it's not like we're working for our salvation to pay it off pay off this gift we got it's mm-hmm. like he wants us to be a part of it because he's put in us this desire of purpose, but the testimonies you hear when people come to Christ, that's why you share Christ. So other people get the chains dropping because there are these, I mean, it happened to me, these instantaneous relief, this instantaneous freedom. You can't put it into words. You just know it's real and you're just desperate to get other people to to experience that same kind of that deliverance. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, was, like, I was blind, and now, and now I, can I see. Listen, yes. I can't tell you who he is or whatever. All I know is I was blind, and now I can see. Amen. Yes. And then, and then, what's you amazing? You saw me yesterday, right? I can see you today, right? Mm. And, and what's right. A, what's amazing in all that is once you can see, you see. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, yeah. like I, I've heard people say, you know, we, we, we worship the unseen, which is factually true. Mm-hmm. But every day in my life, man, every day that I wake up, every day that I move forward, man, I, I see him at work. I see him moving. I see him moving in your story. I see him moving in your ministry. I see this fire. So y'all look, y'all, if you come across Pam in the public, don't don't get over. Just know. Just know. She can see. <laughs> and you can too. Because because our our stories run similar. So it's like yeah. amazing to hear the generational, the generational, like, I don't know where this thought yeah. came from. I do. I do yeah. for sitting from an outside look, looking back mom wants abortion talking abortion dad steps in generationally yeah. man I was divorced to my my wife previous 13 years to the month just like my own mother and yeah. never thought of that never thought like like put those together in it but when you look back and then all of a sudden your mom drops some knowledge yeah I got I was married 13 years we got married or divorced in June too and I'm like what yeah. Yep. The enemy comes in and plays that role because oh, yeah. he doesn't want your spirit to be free. He doesn't well, want it to be truth? free indeed. He's not omnipotent. All he's nope. got is your right. past. Amen. He's yes. got your past, your daddy's past, your mama's mm. past. He doesn't know your future. God has a future for me. He's the one who knows my future. He has mm. plans for me, a future and a hope. Not the enemy. I tell people all the time, man, the enemy ain't right. coming at you with nothing new. He ain't got right. nothing right. but old stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. I love it. Oh, yeah. I love this. I'm so powered up. There's so much. Like, I feel like we can just make highlight reel after Ooh, highlight reel with everything we've heard. And so as as we start concluding, as we start wrapping up, you're a hope dealer. And yeah. this whole season is about encouraging, emboldening, empowering people that have the Lord to 
get up, go and tell. And the and the physical service based mm. love that comes with it, right? So for everyone listening, deal them a little hope. Whatever's on your heart right now, okay. deal them a little hope. You know, the one thing that I know for a fact is that as a believer, you have authority. And so everywhere you plant your foot, you take dominion. We're taking back the kingdom. We are light in coming into darkness. Mm. Don't ever forget that. Our country right now has an identity crisis. Yes. We must, as believers, remind people who we are. First, we have to remind ourselves. I can't advocate for life if I don't value my own. Mm. I've got to look in the mirror every day and I have to like what I see. And if I don't, I have to change it. It mm. all starts with me. So if I've got things that I haven't dealt with, if I haven't wrestled with God, if I haven't been to Peniel, if I haven't been like Jacob saying, I ain't leaving here until you bless me, then that's what we have to do. We all have to have that personal encounter. Like my time that I spend with the Lord, that's where I get filled up. My personal worship time, you know, and it's mm-hmm. only through that he's going to give me more. So I go and I pour that out. But if I don't have anything to pour out, mm. I'm not going to do it. And if I don't believe, Lord, help us with our unbelief. If yes. I don't believe that he has changed me, then I'm not going to do anything. And so I believe it starts with our identity. We mm. have to know who we are first. It all starts with us individually. Amen. 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 I, so I'm. Um, I, I, I've been sitting on this set of verses because I just, I sit here reading this and it's always first Corinthians two is just an amazing start when he, when apostle Paul is sitting there saying, and I brethren, when I came to you did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Mm. I'm telling you, I'm sitting here listening to this story right now and, and I'm getting those, those sense, you know, the, not, <laughs> I, not to make it weird, but I know the spirit's here. I know the spirit's yeah. here and yeah. I know the spirit is speaking right now. And, and y'all, when, when you unpack this and listen to this, no, no, for 100% sure that God is with you, that Christ is with you and nothing should stop you from sharing him. Amen. 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 Y'all. He's real. Jesus is real. Woo. Amen. Amen. Come on. Woo. Like let, let reality, let reality be your reality. Right? right? There's only one reality and Jesus is Lord. Amen. So, Thank y'all again for listening. Thank you so much, Pam, yeah, for being you. here. See, so see, listeners, see, Pantry Fam. This is why the tech glitches happened because this was <laughs> epic. So just don't don't let those kind of little glitches foil you. So remember the pantrypodcast.com in the show notes there's going to be links to all of the awesome resources that Pam kind of oversees and and spearheads and you can get all the details all the bible verses that dropped. Shout out to Josiah cuz he's going to be logging all of Pam's verses through this episode. You can get all that so you can look them up for yourself at thepantrypodcast.com. So until next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. 
Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and catch other great shows on the Edify app, Spark Radio, Uplifted, and Eternity Ready Radio.